0: Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor.
1: Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.
0: Hi, it's Kavita Pale, and Subtitle is back with stories about languages and our relationship to them. I'm here with Patrick Cox. Hi, Patrick.
1: Hey, Kavi. So for the next few months, we're going to bring you a couple of new episodes, also some from the archives. And today's episode, it predates Subtitle, but we're both in it. Me as the host and you, Kavi, as a documentary filmmaker, your, your other life, right?
0: <laughs> That's right. My, my movie that is uh, nearly complete-ish. More on that later in this episode. But for now, here goes with our new season of Subtitle from Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America.
2: My name is Ivanka Majic and I am 43 years old. My father was called Ivan and my grandmother was called Eva and my parents decided that Ivanka was a more modern, updated version of Eva.
1: In some Slavic countries, Ivanka is a popular name, including among the Croats of Croatia and Bosnia. That's where Ivanka Majic's father was from. Her mother's from Britain, hence the accent, Ivanka's British. She works as a digital consultant. And because of that job, she's been an early adopter of all things digital. So when Facebook came along, she signed up, even when the rest of us thought it was just some kind of college hookup thing. Likewise, Twitter.
2: Twitter was a very new, this idea of this social media was very new. So I signed up and my name's Ivanka, so I went for Ivanka. I didn't really think it through.
1: Yes. Ivanka Majic, resident of Brighton, England, self-employed, married, one child. She snagged the Twitter handle at Ivanka. I almost don't need to tell you what happened next.
2: I started getting messages like, you know, I either don't like your shoes or I like your shoes or what were you wearing and stuff like that. But also things like, I'd like to start a business. Please, could you ask your father to give me some money?
1: This kind of stuff sometimes completely took over Ivanka's Twitter feed, which was funny, but also annoying. She wasn't a fan of Donald Trump or his politics. In fact, in Britain, she's an activist on the political left. Equality, feminism, climate change. These are her issues. Which makes what happened next just that little bit more head spinning. The day was January 17th, 2017, three days before Trump's inauguration.
2: I woke up, my husband gets up, picks up his phone, and goes, Oh, ITV News wants to talk to you.
1: First, one TV station.
0: And I'm delighted to say that Ivanka joins us on the phone now. Then
1: another.
2: Yes. It was favorited 15,000 times more than... 15,000. <laughs>
1: then another. Ago, so... Here's what had happened. For the millionth time, someone on Twitter had confused her with Ivanka Trump. The tweet actually was a quote. It said, At Ivanka, space, Trump is great. A woman with real character and class. No biggie. Except that this tweet was then retweeted by Donald Trump last night meant to put his daughter Ivanka Trump into a tweet.
2: Because it was a program about her. The
1: tweeter in chief had been a little hasty. He hadn't noticed the tweet was directed at the wrong Ivanka. So the British Ivanka was having her 15 minutes of fame and not really enjoying it.
2: One of the TV stations phoned up and asked to come down to film me in the house to talk about how I'm classy or is Ivanka Trump classy or the way it was phrased just got my blood up, <laughs> it just made me angry. Why would you come to my house? You're not going to you know, film my family just because of some nonsense.
1: Which was when she decided to turn the nonsense into substance. With the help of some friends, she drafted a responding tweet to the soon-to-be president that said this, And you're a man with great responsibilities. May I suggest more care on Twitter and more time learning about hashtag climate change? And then she also included a graphic showing the overwhelming belief among scientists that climate change is caused by humans. What was the response to the tweet? Was it Did you get the kind of response that you were looking
2: for? I think I did I obviously didn't get a response from the President of the United the future what's he when they're president-elect but the point that I wanted to get across was about climate change given given everything and I think it, I did the I did the best I could in the circumstances
1: that's really interesting I mean it sounds as though you've Um, leveraged the coincidence of just having the same name as the president's daughter and having this confusion on Twitter to your advantage or to at least to the advantage of an argument that you kind of wanted to put out there?
2: Yes, I think I, I tried to move the conversation away from, you know, accidental tweets.
1: Accidental tweets based on mistaken identity are, well, really common. There just aren't that many names in the world. People are constantly making the wrong connections. Just the people who are associated with Donald Trump. Many of them have Twitter doppelgangers. There's a Mike Pence whose bio states he is, quote, not a Christo-fascist politician. There's a Scottish Steve Bannon who mainly tweets about golf. There's another Scott, an office worker called Kellyanne Conway. And there's George Papadopoulos. Not the former Trump campaign aide who allegedly told an Australian diplomat that Russia had, quote, political dirt on Hillary Clinton and who later pleaded guilty to making a false statement to the FBI. Not him, but George Papadopoulos, certified public accountant who does business in a suburb of Detroit and flies to Greece to look after his mom. A lot of these people put a brave, jovial face on their accidental notoriety. But just imagine the thousands of hate messages they must get. Humanity probably doesn't seem all that nice to them. Well, on the pod today, lifetimes of the not rich and not famous, just people who have the same names as the rich and famous. Before
0: we take you to southern India, where my family immigrated from, I want to tell you about Immigrantly, It's a podcast about immigrants and the people around them. When I hear someone say the personal is political, I think about feminist politics, of course, because that's where the phrase originated. But I also think of immigrants who themselves are so often personally affected by political actions. Out of all of this come immigrant narratives of pain and strife, also of love and connection. Immigrantly presents the human dimension that's often missing from our conversations about immigration. Host Sadia Khan is an immigrant herself. Conversations on Immigrantly are complex, challenging, and often messy, but they're never boring. Immigrantly. Listen and subscribe.
1: This song is well known in India, or at least in Kerala. That's a state way down in the south of the country. Kerala has a proud tradition of a type of politics that's not exactly in fashion these days, communism. It's not one party rule. Communists in Kerala are elected, and they have been on and off since 1957, which makes Kerala either the first or the second place in the world where communists came to power via elections. This song celebrates that. The lyrics are all about martyrs who died in the fight against feudalism. It's from a play that later got turned into a movie called You Made Me a Communist.
0: My parents are Malayalis, and uh, people from Kerala are known as Malayalis because the state language in that part of India, it's Malayalam.
1: This is Kavita Pillay. She's a documentary filmmaker who grew up just outside Cleveland.
0: You know, we would take trips to Kerala every few years to go visit our relatives, and as soon as you arrive, you see hammers and sickles everywhere. I mean, I would say, if you think of, say, the frequency with which you see stop signs or billboards in the US, it, That it's probably with that kind of regularity. And so I grew up in a kind of conservative Midwestern suburb in under Ronald Reagan. And so going from Reagan's America to Kerala, where you see hammers and sickles everywhere, it was pretty stark. Like even as a kid, you know, like something's up,
1: like there's something going on
0: here. <laughs>
1: Did you ask your parents? Did they offer explanations for what was going on?
0: You know, I think it was just, it was just kind of understood because it's everywhere. Um, So I I wouldn't have had the ability to articulate it at that point. It was just, you saw it, you understood this place is different from where we're coming from. Yeah, this would not fly back in Ohio. We're not in Ohio anymore.
2: (laughs) In 2005...
0: I ended up going to India on my own on a, a year-long research fellowship. And pretty soon after I arrived, I met a young boy named Stalin. And I already knew that there were people in Kerala named Lenin. So, and I knew something about the state's communist history, but you know, when I met this boy named Stalin, it I, my first reaction was just like horror. And then I w- was fascinated. You know, I had to know how did you get your name? So I asked him how he got his name. You know, he didn't know anything. He was only 12 at the time. But his mom was there, and his mother said, oh, well, in our town, there's a bunch of Stalins. You know, I I had to know more about this. And it turns out that there's not just Stalins and Lenins. I mean, Stalin and Lenin are, are relatively common, but there are Khrushchev's and Brezhnev's and Pushkin. There's someone named after Yuri Gagarin. Um, There's women named after, whose first names are Tereshkova, after Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space. There's kids named Pravda, which means truth. The one father who I met who had a, his two-year-old was named Pravda, and I asked him, and he said, you know, we could have given her the name Satya, which means truth in Sanskrit. But he was a fervent communist, and so he said, but I wanted to name her Pravda. (laughs) There's one Stalin, you know, in particular who kind of stands out to me. He's a bureaucrat in his mid fifties. He's a fervent environmentalist. He also has like a menagerie of lots of animals and he's a recovering alcoholic and he is a ardent admirer of his namesake. So he's saying that these days people don't even know the name of their grandfather's father, but This particular day on which I interviewed him, it was Stalin's birthday. So he was saying, this particular day is a holy day. And how lucky am I? Because I was named after Stalin, who is the most handsome man I've seen in my life. Just look at that mustache. What a masculine face.
1: All right. So the guy finds Stalin handsome. He likes the mustache and all of that. But does he know anything about Stalin's life and what he did during his life?
0: He actually knows a lot. Um, He's read a number of histories of Stalin. And so, you know, I asked him about this. And I said, you know, this is a man who's best known for killing tens of millions of people, of his own countrymen. and, And what's your response to that? And his response was always, you know, some version of, well... Stalin united many small countries to make the great Soviet Union.
2: And yeah, there were some
0: atrocities along the way, but it takes some talent to do that. You know, I'm someone who can't even kill a chicken. It takes some talent to do these cruel acts, and the ends justified the means.
1: This is really interesting, Kavita, because... About a decade ago, I was reporting in Georgia, where Stalin is from. I went to Stalin's birthplace, Gori, the town of Gori, and I arranged a tour where I interviewed the tour guide of the Stalin Museum, also in town at the time, although it's since been taken down, was a huge, great statue of Stalin. And everybody I interviewed in Gori would agree with that, that the ends justify the means. They were tremendously proud of the local boy made good. That said, he was the local boy. In Kerala, why, why? Why do they pick him out above other leaders who might have a little less blood on their hands?
0: I mean, it's not just Stalin and Lenin who are regarded with this kind of reverence in Kerala. You'll find it for Lenin, Mussolini, Hitler. There is this respect for these people not despite what they did, but in some ways because of what they did. There's just this reverence for these people who very quickly managed to make these countries powerful, yeah, despite those horrors. Initially, I thought it was, oh, there's so much distance. They're geographically distanced from it. Historically, in terms of time, they're very distanced from it. Maybe that's what's going on. But even people who know what happened feel like, yeah, they did what needed to be done. The whole country benefited from it.
1: What about American names? Are there any sort of great American leaders who are popular among uh, as names in in Kerala?
0: People are certainly naming their children after other global popular figures as well. I've heard of a Roosevelt, uh, Lincoln, Kennedy. I'm told that Kennedy's son's name is Clinton. I've heard of a Nixon.
1: Any Trumps yet?
0: Not as far as I know. I thought there might be. But the thing is, people are very aware of how Trump is affecting Indian workers. So they say, oh, he's trying to kick our people out of the U.S. Our, you know, techies are going to the U.S. He wants to get rid of them, so we don't like him. The other thing is people associate Donald with Donald Duck. And Trump, you don't find a lot of one-syllable names in certainly not in Kerala. So maybe if Trump's name had two syllables, maybe he would be more popular. But I think, you know, nowadays, people are just much more well versed with what's going on with Donald Trump, as opposed to in the past, people would not have known as much about what Stalin and Lenin were up to. They didn't have social media to inform them on a minute by minute
1: basis. Is the name Lenin as popular as the name Stalin?
0: The name Lenin is is more common than the name Stalin. There's one Lenin who who we spent the most time with, um, and he's probably the most ardent, the most fervent admirer of his namesake. He's a young guy, he's in his early 30s. He's a politician, a local politician. He is pretty poor, his family is from one of the lowest castes, but despite the challenges that he faces, he's also studying to get his PhD in history. He's saying that the revolution will come to fruition. I believe the revolution will come to fruition. And as someone who has the the name of the great Lenin, I want to build a life in line with what he envisioned. And I may not get there, especially because in a globalized world, there's lots of challenges and there's lots of temptations. One could
1: end up becoming bourgeois. What does he mean by that? The temptations. It sounds kind of pseudo-religious.
0: It does, you know, and when he says the revolution will come to fruition, he has this like look in his eyes, it's kind of like talking with someone who is awaiting the second coming of Christ. It's kind of like that level of belief and reverence. It took me a long time to see that the kind of the irony of how communism has manifested in Kerala is that it has these really strong religious overtones. So you know, the song that we heard from You Made Me a Communist, they're talking about the blood of martyrs and building a monument to these martyrs. And of course, martyrdom has really strong religious overtones. A martyr is someone who will not relinquish their beliefs, you know, would rather die than relinquish their beliefs. And Kerala itself is very religiously diverse. It's 60 per, around 60% Hindu but 20% Christian and 20% Muslim. So talking about martyrs will have kind of a, a will play out differently in a place like Kerala. Um but also you know in terms of the imagery that you see it's not just hammers and sickles. You know you will see these triptychs of Marx, Engels, Lenin all over the place and it's like father son holy spirit or Brahma Vishnu Shiva they are like prophets or apostles and I think because of that level of, kind of, religiousness around these figures, it can be hard to question them, you know, for people who have any sort of doubts about them. It, it's hard to question. I think one of the other elements is caste. You know, for people from lower castes, to give your child a name like Stalin or Lenin seems to have kind of a special importance. In a way, it's kind of like thumbing your nose at the system and maybe seizing some of the respect that Indian society denies you. This very hierarchical place is den- denying you some sort of respect because of the caste your ancestors was, were born into, while well, giving your child the name of the, one of these, like quote, strong leaders is a way to kind of say, like, I'm rejecting this. I'm rejecting this system
1: because people can't figure out which caste you come from if you've got a name like this.
0: It's not necessarily that you can't figure out your caste because people are looking at so many things. They're looking at how light or dark your skin is, whether you're fat or skinny and trying to figure out where are you on the totem pole? Like are you above me? Are you below me? So giving a name like Stalin or Lenin, it may not hide what caste you're from, but it might just be a way of saying, like, I'm standing up against this.
1: So Kavita, how about your family? Are there there any Stalins or Lenins in your own family?
0: I don't have any blood relatives named Stalin or Lenin. I have a distant cousin by marriage. He didn't know anything about his name. But I'd long heard about a, a family friend of ours who has two uncles named Stalin and Lenin. And the, these two uncles are brothers, and they both immigrated to the U.S. in the 60s. So before they immigrated, they changed their names to something more just Western and under the radar that wouldn't like raise any flags, any red flags. or So, you know, I got in touch with this family friend, and she said, oh, contact Stalin, because he's more friendly than Lenin. And so I contacted this man, formerly known as Stalin, and he was you know, initially very warm and very chatty, but when we got around to the topic of his name and the fact that he had changed his name, he clammed up. And, you know, when I tried to kind of press him on it, he said, kindly forget about it and I couldn't help but wonder that you know if, if you immigrated to the US and you changed your name from Stalin to something else before you came here and maybe you didn't tell immigration officials in the US that you had done this you might be concerned that like going on the record about this might have some repercussions, especially nowadays. You know, there are people who have done nothing wrong and who are afraid about their immigration status in the U.S. And maybe, you know, even someone who's been a citizen for decades might have something to fear.
1: You know Kerala very well much better than most Americans do. And you've been going there now for several years, interviewing people about the choices that their parents made to name them Lenin and Stalin. And there's a kind of joke factor there. I mean, before we get why all of this is taking place, I mean, are you ever worried that you're sort of just making fun of these guys?
0: I think of this story as a tragic comedy. You know, I started working on it in 2009 but I had been thinking about it for several years before that. It was initially the name Stalin and Lenin were an inroad into looking at kind of these contradictions and even hypocrisies in Kerala. The fact that Kerala espouses all this like communist rhetoric and workers of the world unite, but the state is kept afloat, financially kept afloat, by the fact that millions of workers from Kerala go to uber-capitalist places in the oil-rich Gulf, right? They're going to Dubai and Qatar and Saudi Arabia and Oman and sending millions and millions of dollars back to India. Communism is kept alive in Kerala by capitalism, essentially. So that was the story that I was looking at. So when people would say, you know, these things to me about, you know, these kind of reverential things about the likes of Lenin and Stalin, you know, at that time, I just thought, like, these are outliers. Like, this is an anomaly. And I didn't see it for what it was at the time. I thought, I can't put brown people on screen saying this stuff because they will seem ridiculous, especially for Western viewers. This would seem just like outlandish and freakish even. And my ideas about this changed a lot after the 2016 U.S. election. It was at that time that I realized that what i had been ignoring was actually you know kind of a symptom of this almost like this disease within our species it's not just in india that we see reverence for leaders who do and say some terrible things So, you know, in in the wake of the U.S. presidential election, I suddenly realized that people saying things like Stalin and Lenin were great leaders, they committed some atrocities, but they did it to make Russia great again. (laughs) Suddenly, it didn't seem like outliers. Suddenly, it felt like a version of a lot of what we were hearing here. It's like, so what if, you know, Donald Trump said and did such and such? He's doing it to make America great again. This was no longer just like contained by the boundaries of Kerala. It was a reflection of just stuff that is in our species, really, like this reverence for, quote, strong leaders who will do whatever it takes in the minds of, of some in order to like enact their vision.
1: Kavita Pillay, documentary filmmaker, and nowadays, of course, co-host of Subtitle. Kavi, what's the latest on your film and when we might see it?
0: Well, last year this time, I said 2021, but now I have no idea. I just, I can't put a date on it until we're in a post-pandemic world.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Well, it really is a tricky one, naming your child, even if you don't deliberately name them after someone. Who knows how that name will come across decades later? Just ask Ivanka Majic. So Ivanka, just the name carries so much baggage. I mean, it's not the same as being called Stalin or Lenin, but nonetheless, it's kind of problematic, I would imagine. I mean, do you have people sort of double take when you tell them what your name is?
2: Do you mean just in the sense of Ivanka Trump? Because you know, yes. there is a longer answer to this. <laughs> There's a,
1: yeah, what's the, the longer
2: answer is... As we've we've established at the very beginning of this conversation, I'm 43 years old. So I was born in Britain in the 70s. When I was a little girl in Birmingham, I wasn't foreign. I was had a funny name, uh, but I was white. Um, later. As a teenager in England, um, obviously my first name rhymes with something (laughs) that people like to use as an offensive word. So that that caused it. So that was a whole different strain of problems.
1: Okay, if you're not British, you may not be picking up on what she's saying. British pronunciation of Ivanka is Ivanka, which rhymes with wanka. If you don't know what that means, I'm not going to tell you. Look it up.
2: But somehow, in the intervening period, with the Slavic names comes an assumption of foreignness so I know now that it's law but about 20 years ago I got asked to turn up for a job interview with in my passport I really didn't like that I really was offended by it because one of the things I always liked about the difference between my British self and my what was then Yugoslav self was that in Yugoslavia you had to photo ID in three Stamps for everything, rubber, everything had to have a rubber stamp on it. And in England, you just signed your name and you were who you said you were, and that was that was cool. And so I really, really didn't enjoy this, so particularly as the person who'd invited me to this interview I had a foreign name too. And I was like, Well, what, where's your passport? I felt like they were expecting me to walk in and go, Hello, my name is Ivanka. I, you know, lock up your men. I've come to eat your children, you know. It's, uh, suddenly, this Ivankan my name made me really foreign and really. You know, Russian, and so your original question was something about the burden, the the luggage that comes with the name. I actually find in the day to day of being called Ivanka that people aren't that bothered by it other than foreign, and fewer people than you imagine associate me with Ivanka Trump when they hear my name the first time. I think now since the the Twitter thing a year ago, people go, oh, are you that Ivanka? So I get to have a minute of being recognised and then we have a laugh. But I think the burden is more to do with immigration and Slavs, the Stalins and the Lenins, than it is to do with Ivanka Trump. I'm sorry, Ivanka Trump.
1: Ivanka Majic, digital consultant who lives in Brighton, England. If you want to know more about her life she co-hosts a podcast why does that sound familiar it's called michael and ivanka's grand podcast
0: we'll post a link to that at our website subtitlepod.com so check that out and also please rate and review us at apple podcasts or wherever you listen
1: thanks today to tina toby jeremy helton allison reed sadia khan and the team at the immigrantly podcast Everyone at the World Radio Program, essential listening if you care about the world beyond American borders or about the influence of the rest of the world on America. And also to the National Endowment for the Humanities, whose support has meant so much over the years to subtitle and before it, The World in Words.
0: Last but not least, our thanks to all the other podcasters at the Hub and Spoke Collective. Hub and Spoke Podcasts tell stories based on ideas among artists or scholars or just walking down the street. Among them is Soonish, a podcast about the future and how we might design it to be better than the present. Host Wade Roush has a brand new episode out about what the pandemic may have taught us about learning. Consider the very strange moment we're in as a giant research experiment. Zoom classes are just the start of it. We highly recommend Soonish for its many takes on the future and how we might actually achieve progress. Check out Soonish and all the other Hub & Spoke podcasts at hubspokeaudio.org.
1: Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Hub & Spoke. Audio Collective.